Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is the Spurs Cast with your host, Paul Garcia. And welcome back to another episode of the Spurs Cast. In today's episode, I'll be joined by Project Spurs writers Benjamin Bornstein and Colin Reed. Today, we'll be breaking down the Spurs' last two games against the Atlanta Hawks and New Orleans Pelicans. And from there, we'll have an early draft discussion. Let's go ahead and jump right into this episode with Colin and Ben. Ben, how are you doing? I am fantastic, sir. How are you? I'm, I'm doing very well. Colin, how are you doing? Uh, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I guess my big question is, are we going to be breaking down the games or are the games going to be breaking us down? Because that's how it's feeling after 14. <laughs> Man, we haven't got to that losing streak yet, so we'll, we'll get there, though. Oh, God. All right, guys. So let's first, before we get, so obviously, you know, we have been on, on this episode. We really want, I know it's it's only December, but the Spurs this season is not going according to plan compared, uh, uh, according to like, you know, I don't know that they were supposed to be back where they were last year, which was a, you know, in, in position to have a number one pick again, but it's very early, but we do want to have that draft, that early draft discussion here in December uh, with ben, ben on the podcast. So Colin and I will be sending him some questions, but first let's talk about the actual Spurs and how they're doing right now. So there hasn't been many games going on, obviously, because of that, the in-season tournament that's happening right now. And, and we, I do want to note that we are recording this on a Tuesday evening. So let's go back to last Thursday. The Spurs are in San Antonio. Um, they're playing the Atlanta Hawks. The, the, the Hawks were favored by six and a half. The Spurs led by 15 points. Um, they led them for most of the game until the final five minutes. Atlanta takes over, specifically Trey Young takes over. He ends up with 45 points and 14 assists on this night. Um, some very impressive Spurs on this night were Jeremy Sohan, a career-high 33 points, including 18 paint points. Uh, eight rebounds, six assists, and he did have five turnovers. Victor Wimbanyama um, finishes with 21 points, 12 rebounds, two assists, two steals, and four blocks, and also two turnovers. Devin Vassell and his in his role off the bench lately because of more so health concerns. Um, he scores 25 points off the bench. And then Kelton Johnson also has a double-double with 22 points and 11 rebounds. But the Hawks did win this game by two. Then on Friday, the Spurs go um, to, to New Orleans to play a game on the road. This is uh, Victor Wembanyama's first game that he missed. Nothing too concerning. It was just um, right hip tightness because he had played in that back-to-back. So um, they sat him out. He will be available on Wednesday when the team returns to play against Minnesota. The Pels were favored by 13. This was the most um, that an opponent was favored by against San Antonio this season, uh, especially with Wemby out. And so the Spurs actually battled very well for it for a half. They were only down by two at halftime, but then in the third quarter and, and fourth quarter, the Pels did take control. They ended up going up by as much as 16. They ended up winning by 15 points. So Vegas said they, um, that the Spurs would go 0-2. The Spurs went 0-2. That leads to what Colin mentioned, a 14-game losing streak now. Let's first get, um, Colin, your, your thoughts on uh, these last two games by the Spurs. I thought both of them were games that they could have won at different points. You know, I when they were like so close through a lot of the game on Friday before that third quarter, like stretch where they hadn't scored any, I was like, this is the classic break your losing streak kind of game. Your best player is out. The whole scouting report is now just garbage because like who they're going to run through and all that kind of stuff is different for the Pelicans. than it would have been if Wimby would have played. Um, and I feel like it's natural when the other team's best player is out to take your foot off the gas a little bit. So I was like, I wouldn't be surprised and through, the first two and a half quarters or so, that was about the way it was. But 
like I feel like we've seen so many times just a complete lack of any sort of offense for a five minute stretch or the other team scores Mm -hmm. every single basket over a five minute stretch. And it's just, you know, they play 38, uh, 43. Wow. Bad math, but they play 43 competitive minutes, a lot of these games. And it's these like four, five, six minute stretches that really sink them. So those, the fact that they are able to keep up a majority of the game where they're like toe to toe with these teams is encouraging, but obviously um you would hope to see execution through the full 48 minutes um the fouling has seemed to be an issue because it's such a big disparity they're fouling a lot and they're not getting a lot of foul calls you know it's just i think both of these games were a little bit hard in that respect and then obviously they're playing someone like trey uh young who's going to be so good at drawing those fouls Mm -hmm. um the other thing is that Wimby stat line kind of brings me to you know, David Robinson was the last player who officially recorded a quadruple double. And I think Wimby, like if you had to place a bet on who is the next NBA player to do it, he is the one that I think would be most likely to do it. And also the next five by five. So that's exciting because I think there's going to be lots of times where it's a random uh, night against some, you know, middling team in February, years down the line, but he could still have this opportunity to have like a quadruple double that night or a five by five. So exciting basketball for us in the future, but yeah, a little bit difficult right now. Ben, what are your thoughts on those two games? I mean, Colin nailed it. It's incredibly frustrating to watch a team execute for as long as they do. I mean, there were, there have been several instances and Paul, you keep track of this throughout the season. You know, there are instances when, the Spurs go up by 15 in a game and they're losing those games. That's the most, I think that would be the most frustrating thing for me. You, you can't go up 15 points over the course of a game. And the, I think the thing is a lot of times they get to that 15 point mark late in the first quarter, early in the second yep. quarter, mm-hmm. and they get very comfortable. And, and I think that's when you get those stretches Colin was talking about, those stretches of four, five, six minutes where there's no offense because they just figured, oh, well, we're doing everything fine the way it is now. What, you know, we don't need to work on anything or we don't need to, you know, there's no sense of urgency. And some of that comes from being a young team. But at some point, like a guy like Keldon Johnson, Zach Collins, Devin Vassell, they have to grab someone by the neck and say, listen, keep your foot on the pedal. We can't keep getting away with this. All right. We've, we've never, we haven't gotten away with it as a matter of fact, once this year. So you, at at some point that execution has to become full game execution. You know, I I think some of it is the coaching staff. They're not, it may be, you know, they're not calling timeouts at the right moments. They're not making, they're not making their subs. They're not, the rotations aren't quite there. And, you know, I'm, I'm a bit on the bandwagon of the Jeremy Sohan point guard experiment was fun. It's, it was nice. It was, it was a good idea it, on paper. It has not been a good idea in practice. Let Trey Jones start. Let him run the offense. Maybe bring Keldon Johnson off the bench, and you have Jeremy Sohan at your four, or you have him at your three even, and you run with kind of a jumbo lineup aside from Trey Jones and let Wembenyama, Collins, Sohan, Vassell all run together. I, I think at some point they just they have to switch something up. 
Okay. And see that, that's what, that, that was an interesting one. The Atlanta game, going back to that one, that was the, 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 the first sign you saw of maybe this could possibly be something with Sohan, the fact that he had that 33, um, eight and six, but like you said, Ben, I mean, just the five turnovers too kind of cancels out that six assists right there. But from what I saw, and I was telling Colin this before we started recording, it was just really impressive of the way he was kind of taking advantage of his size against a smaller point guard like Trey, Trey Young and getting in, in the paint using that, but that pro hop to just quickly get one bounce and then, and then dunk the ball. He had that play where Zach Collins sent him an alley-oop, but the thing is, you know, two nights later, it didn't happen again, you know, that way. So obviously, you know, that was like his career high night. So um, overall though, you know, when you look at the data, obviously you know, all the numbers point to, to that, that, that lineup not working. Um, let's talk about the team now through, through 19 games. Um, so they are three and 16 um, as of right now on Tuesday evening, their last out West. Uh, they're on a 14 game losing streak. Not even the bet, the worst in the NBA, the Pistons, Detroit Pistons, Thank 17 God. game losing streak. Two, two teams, man, have over double digit losing streaks, but the Pistons, you know, the, the Spurs, you know, I know you feel horrible to sleep losing streak, but the Pistons are even worse there. Uh, Spurs are um, 28th on offense, uh, 27th on defense. Now, Ben, I want to ask you this question though, because I was looking, I was trying to figure out, you know, when was the last time we had Ben on here? So it was actually the final preseason game. It had just taken place. So there was zero regular season games played. So now that you've seen this team through 19 games, what are your thoughts, man? Just like, you know, I I don't remember exactly what we said at that time. I know they were just barely trying out this new starting lineup, but just what have been your initial thoughts just now that you've seen 19 games um, since, since we last sp- uh, spoke to you? Ray Jones is your point guard. Uh, he should be your starting point guard. Stop trying to stop trying to make fetch happen. Okay. Stop trying to, you know, make Jeremy Sohan happen at point guard. It's it's, it was, a, again, it was a nice experiment. Yes, it probably taught him quite a bit about how guys move at other positions and probably how he can move once you move him back to, you know, three or four, depending on where you want to put him. But, you know, this has to, at some point you have to say, we're we're not trying to tank. We can't do this again this year. These fans might actually kill us if we, if we're actively tanking. And like, you know, I don't think they're actively trying to tank. But with some of this, some of these lineups and some of these rotations, I'm not so sure. I mean, there are some nights where it is, and I think there's enough of a sample size now where you can turn around and say, listen, these four, these five, you know, these three guys, when they are on the floor together, the net rating is drastically better than when certain other combinations of guys are on the floor. And again, you can't run all of those combinations all of the time, obviously guys have to rest, but those are the combinations that should be getting more minutes. And I I don't think the staff has done that yet. And I don't know if it's because they're really trying, trying to stick to the Sohan experiment, Mm -hmm. but something has to give sooner rather than later. Cause you, the second that the Pistons break that streak, assuming it's happening at some point, the Spurs don't want to be the ones with the next with the longest yeah. losing streak after that. Mm-hmm. They got to win before the Pistons do. That's the big one for me. Yep, and and a good thing for the Spurs, they do have Chicago on Friday coming up, so that's something to potentially, um, you know, try to break that streak. We'll see. We'll see though, because I mean, they had Memphis that one night, and then Memphis still beat San Antonio. So who who knows? Uh, and then some other some some other news. Um, so the official uh, Western Conference Rookie of the Month was named this past week, and that was uh, so it was basically between Ch- Chet Holmgren and, and Victor Wembanyama. Um, Wemby had the better stats in most areas in terms of like um, production stats, points, rebounds, assists, those kind of areas, but shooting percentages, efficiency was was definitely uh, Chet. Had had the advantage there and then also team wins i think victor was like one in 13 in, in, in november or in october november and then um 
uh, or two and thirteen, something like that. It was a low record, and then uh, Chet obviously is on a very good team with OKC. So, so his number, his record was like twelve and six or something like that. So, so um, uh, Chet ended up ended up getting the award uh, for for this past month of October, November Rookie of the Month for the Western Conference. And then in some injury news, despite the Spurs being off for four straight days, they turned in their injury report on um, Tuesday afternoon, and it actually has two players I was surprised to see on here. So Zach Collins is now probable probable to play at Minnesota with a left thumb sprain. So I wonder if that's something that happened um, in between these practices that the team's been off and now Devin Vassell might have a new injury here where it says uh, he's listed as probable for at Minnesota with what they're calling the Spurs left knee management so again we know that he's been dealing with that um what was the injury Colin I forgot that he's had all this year to start uh adductor tightness there you go so the adductor tightness was what what's been plaguing Vassell this year that he's missed some games but now all of a sudden now left knee management is coming out on the injury report so um Colin I'll let you respond there do you have any thoughts on 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 the rookie the uh rookie of of the year race and then also um, this this new injury news so I think the the rookie of the year race is going to be tight all season long. I think that at the end of the day, these two teams have kind of played in the extremes above or below where they're actually at. I think the Spurs are not a wonderful team, but I do think they are better than um, three and sixteen. And I think the Oklahoma City Thunder. They are a very good team. I don't think they're the second best net rating team in the NBA, which is what they have right now. Uh, as it stands, though, they have the third best record in the West and they have the second best net rating. And Chet's usage on the team is fourth. He has a 21.4% wow. usage rating. So, like, he is contributing to a team that, by all measures, is doing very, very well. And while the stats aren't there, I can understand awarding him this rookie of the month where the Thunder came off with a super hot start and then the Spurs kind of did the opposite. Yeah. I would imagine that as we get a bigger sample size and things kind of start going to their natural like level, you know, the Thunder will still be a playoff team and very good. And the Spurs will still be very much not that, but I do think the average there is at this point, I still imagine uh, that Wimby wins the rookie of the year, but I think them awarding Chet this first month of the award for how good the Thunder team did and how big of a part he's been of that, I think makes a lot of sense. And I think that's fair. And I think, you know, it's going to be these two as the top two all season long. Um, but I, I don't think either team continues at the level they're at right now. And I think that that ends up being the tiebreaker in the end. Okay. Um, uh, ben, did you have any thoughts there on either the rookie of the year race or if not those um, new injuries for Collins and, uh, and uh, yeah, um, I'm, I'm of the mindset and I, I tweeted this out the other day and I had a lot of people, well, not a lot. I had a fair amount of people attacking me. I seem to have a lot of more, a lot more people agree, but I would argue that Chet Holmgren is not a rookie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, my argument was he spent an entire year on an NBA bench. He's mm-hmm. working, he's playing with professionals, or, you know, other guys in the league. And then, you know, there were a few people who argued, well, Victor Wimbledon has been playing professionally for three years. And I'm like, yes, but he hasn't been playing an NBA schedule, mm-hmm. which is much different. Um, and on top of that, I mean, you have this, this kind of argument goes back to Blake Griffin winning, to Ben Simmons winning. Mm-hmm. Ben Simmons most recently winning it over Donovan Mitchell, um, Blake Griffin winning it a, a season after he was drafted by the Clippers. He sat out. I think his was a knee issue. Um, 
but I, I mean, I would, I would argue that, you know, getting NBA coaching for an entire year and getting, getting to be around those, your teammates for a year is an advantage. It's an, you have, you have institutional knowledge that you did not have a year ago that rookies don't possess. Um, having said that, you know, assuming we have to run with the definition of rookie that the NBA is currently running with, mm-hmm. um, you know, Chet Holmgren winning that award makes total sense. I would argue he had a bigger impact on winning for his team. And you you then get into the definition of rookie of the month, rookie of the year. Does that mean you had the greatest impact on winning? Does it mean you put up the best stats? Does it mean you look the prettiest while you were playing? What does that mean to different voters? I think that's a, that, that's a discussion for another time but I think that's a lot of what these kind of votes come down to in the end. Okay. This season so far of two man pairs that have played at least 400 minutes together, SGA and Chet are number four in net rating. They are a plus 13 in, in on the, the entire court league. of the entire league. They are plus 13 together on the court when it, those wow. two on the court. Um, and the three guys they're behind are all on the Boston Celtics. So <laughs> that kind of skews the stats a little bit, right? Because that's like a juggernaut. So, yeah, and at 400, the reason I use that number is because that's about where lineup data starts to have mm-hmm. more signal than just noise. But, yeah, so you, you talked about contributing to winning. It's, it's hard because – I think the definition, it's reasonable to squabble with, but, you know, the NBA has saddled us with what they have. They fixed things in the past, like this year we have um, all-NBA voting that's positionless, so it's interesting to see. Uh, you know, in the past when this happened, Joel Embiid was going up against, was it Malcolm Brogdon that year? And, like, no one's going to be sitting there going, like, Malcolm, well, Malcolm Brogdon won, but if he didn't win, there's not going to be this huge online outcry, mm-hmm. you know? versus Wimby is the best prospect since LeBron James. So, you know, I could see things maybe becoming a discussion if it does end up being Chet that wins it in the end, where maybe that does get fixed in the next CBA because there's finally someone who can champion the cause that kind of has more of a social media pull. Okay, so yeah, and then did it, either of you have any comments regarding Vassell? The fact that like the Spurs have been very cautious with him since bringing him back from injury, where they've he's been coming off the bench, and then all of a sudden there's this new left knee management um, that they're, that they're looking at with this uh, return to Minnesota. I think he's, so. It was probable, right? Was what yeah, he's he probable. Said? He, he might probably, play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I think uh, Kevin Pelton at one point recently went through and like looked at everyone who is questionable, doubtful, and probable. And apparently those um, are actually really spot on. It's like uh, doubtful is literally like 50-50, questionable is almost never plays, and probable is. So the fact mm-hmm. that he is probable, I think, is more of just like a they're planning on playing him. But for w- for whatever reason they have behind the scenes – they have like an inkling of a doubt of whether or not he'll play. And they're just like mm-hmm. trying to CYA for like league uh, reporting stuff. Okay. If he is probable on this, that, that's my take on it. Okay. Um, so now let's go to our next topic. And that is the, the early December draft check-in. So as I mentioned, uh, you know, doing, before the season started, I didn't think we'd be talking about the Spurs being in this position as of right now, as of December. So uh, let's first go through where they are, and then we'll talk to, you know, we'll start asking Ben all these questions about some of the prospects right now in this upcoming draft in 2024. 
So right now the Spurs are three and sixteen, like I mentioned. The they are um they have the I think second or third worst record. Then there's the Pistons who have the worst record at two and eighteen, and then the Wizards are three and sixteen, just like the Spurs. So those are your bottom three teams. And as we learned last year, we got we all learned a lot last year of how the draft process works with with the number one pick. Um, you know they have the as long as you have a bottom three record, you have the best um, odds of getting the number one pick. That's why the Spurs got Victor Wembanyama this past off season. And so um then that's so we're now through like twenty games basically at this point. So there is a lot of season left to be played. I do want to say that there's seventy seven percent of the season. Left to be played for San Antonio. And again, based on the comments that Pop made at the beginning of the year, you know, when he said, you know, wins are wins are important this year as well as learning, you know, I don't think the Spurs wanted to be where they're at right now. That wasn't probably not their intention. So they may still try to still push for um getting getting some wins on the board um and not being maybe, you know, a bottom three team. We also want to keep in mind, though, that the Spurs might get a second pick in the first round uh, with the Raptors pick. So that pick goes to San Antonio as long as it lands 7 through 30. And no, right now, though, Toronto's not off to it. You know, they, they, they've had some some decent wins, but they're currently ninth. So they're not too, too far away from just tanking and, you know, getting control of that pick for themselves. So, you know, that's something we could watch, especially since the trade deadline has not got here, ha- has not arrived yet. Uh, that, that comes in February. So now let's uh, let's talk about some prospects. So um, uh, Colin and Ben have, have a list of, of the prospects that I sent them, and this is based off um, Jonathan Gavoni's um, latest mock draft. It, it came out on um, on ESPN on, on November 30th. And before we talk about a few of the prospects, I want to talk about one prospect in, in particular, Ben. This is a player you recently wrote about, Isaiah Collier, Collier uh, out of USC. He's a point guard. Um, right now they have him mocked to the Spurs if the Spurs get the number one pick. Um, what what are your just tell us about who he is as a player and, and what would be your thoughts if you know the season goes bad for San Antonio, they end up with number one and, and they're able to draft Collier Collier. Uh, what are your thoughts there? Um I'll say this year the number one draft pick is very tricky. There is not an obvious choice. There's there's probably five, six, seven guys who could go number one right now. No one has solidified themselves. Okay. So, you know, I if if you're covering this, you know, you should not be surprised when people start saying, ooh, Collier at one was a stretch, or ooh, Collier at one was obviously the right pick. You're gonna have everything on that spectrum. Um, having said that, I think right now Collier is he's a good prospect. He's probably still top five in this draft right now. Um but having lost his last couple games at USC, he can score. He can shoot it really well. His free throw shooting is concerning, actually. But it's odd because he's actually shooting very well from the field and from three, which I think was a concern for him coming into college. So he's actually doing that quite well. Um, I think he's he's attempting like three threes a game. He's shooting. He's hovering around 40%, I want to say. Um, but the defense is bad. Um, I don't know. And it's not just him on USC. So I don't know if it's a product of coach Andy Enfield just not getting through to these guys or they think their offense is so good they can over they don't really need to play defense. But Collier is 6'5, 210, is incredibly quick at his size mm-hmm. and is ex- fairly explosive, I'd say, and incredibly strong and physical. Those are all that, – that is a combination of ingredients that should mean you can play defense pretty well. And especially in college where, like, the defensive rating is kind of wonky compared to NBA where, you know, if you're in the NBA, a team defensive rating of, like, 106 right now is, I think, best in the league. Um, college, there are a ton of guys who have, you know, individual defensive ratings in the high 70s, 80s and 90s so for him to have a defensive rating uh, i think close to 105 
is frankly unacceptable. Um, so I think that's something he's going to have to work on. He's going to have to prove that he's one willing to play defense and two, he can, he, he is capable because I'm sure he's capable, but we don't really know because he hasn't really tried right now. So that, that might be a red flag going forward, but I think it's, it's only been eight, nine games into the season. So there's, there's plenty of time to make a call on that. Okay. Colin, did you have any questions um, uh, to Ben about Collier or Collier or even just any, anything else like regarding the drafts with the gentleman? Yeah. I, uh, so <laughs> Man, I have so many questions just hearing this. <laughs> yes, as many as you want. Go ahead. So, so this first one is maybe a little bit easier, but it's also maybe the scariest question I've ever thought of in my entire life. So, <laughs> the last time I remember a draft like this, where you were saying the number one to the number seven, you know, there's seven players that could go number one. The Cavs selected Anthony Bennett with the number one pick in the draft. Oh, wow. So, I don't know where we're going there. <laughs> do you think that there is a risk of that kind of thing happening in this draft with it being so wide open at the top? I would say there is a bit of a risk, but I would also say that what the Cavs did was malpractice. There, there were very clear red medical red flags before the draft, before, before even the combine. I mean, he, he, there was the, there's the issue with the sleep apnea. And I think that that led to like weight gain for him. There were, there were a few issues. So what the Cavs did was, was actual malpractice in my book. Um, especially cause I, I can't remember how good that UNLV team was that year, if they were good at all. Um, so and I think now the scouting has gotten so much better and and people really pay attention to these things and they actually pay attention at the combine and they're doing all of these workouts before everything else. Um, I, I would say there there's always, I mean, there's really always that risk in every draft, mm-hmm. but I would say it's, it's probably a little less in this one, but it is, the the range of who can go one is is probably the same i would say and it's it's just as much of a mystery i would in fact i should look that draft up because i can't even tell you because that was the victor oladipo draft i think if i'm not mistaken um yeah victor oladipo to the magic at two Otto porter at three cody zeller at four alex len at five nerlens noel at six but i would i would say and like hindsight being 2020, right? You look back at, at those five, first six, seven guys, and you're thinking, why would any of those guys go top seven? I mean, maybe Victor Oladipo, even with the injuries. Um, but the majority of those guys are role players. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then Anthony Bennett didn't even make it. I don't think he even made it to a second contract. So you're you're talking about I mean, the, the eighth guy, the, Michael Carter-Williams won Rookie of the Year, and he was picked 11th. This was the Giannis draft at 15. Giannis was 15 in this draft. All right. I, I can I can go naming a bunch of guys on here. I think Gobert was 29. Gobert was 27 yeah. in this draft. So I, I think... I think that kind of gives you an idea and tells you a little bit of how much scouting has improved and how much you know, front offices realize, okay, this guy fits a need for us better. Because there there were a bunch of dudes 
between Giannis and Rudy Gobert. If I told you their name, you would have said, oh, I forgot about him. Guaranteed. So I, I, I think there's a ton of talent in this year's, you know, top seven, eight. I think it's, it's much there. Those guys are more talented at this stage than those guys were at that stage coming into the draft. I just, I don't see an Anthony Bennett situation happening again. That would be terrifying stuff to me. Like if I'm, if I'm a GM this year, this might be a year you consider trading down um, to get outside of the lottery and get what, what people would probably consider safer picks. Okay. Wow. Um, so I wanted to ask you this, Ben, do you have, do you have the list that I sent you in front of you? If not, I can read the names off of, of the players. Yeah, I've got you. You just kind of just want to do a quick little, like brief, like summary, just like, I guess players, not all of them, but like, just like in the top 10, who, who kind of interests you if this, um, you know, if the Spurs have, have a top, you know, if, uh, if it looks, like they're going to have a top 10 pick, just kind of, just to just give us a little bit of information in terms of like, who, who do you think really piques your interest there out of these 10 players in, in the top 10 that Gavoni has? Well, we already talked about um, Collier. Mm-hmm. I like Stefan Castle out of UConn, but he's been injured, so we haven't really gotten to see him play a whole lot. Okay. Um, he's supposed to come back in the next week or so, I want to say. So when he gets some games under his belt, I'm really curious to see how he looks. He's a freshman. He was a five-star recruit. 6'6", has great size, can play off ball. I think he plays a little bit of point guard, too, can handle it a little bit, so that's a nice option. Um I've I was high on Donovan Klingon last year. I've cooled off a little bit only because you know he's seven, he's seven two, he's two eighty, but he moves fairly well at his size and weight. Um, he's a drop coverage guy at you know, 10 times out of 10, but he's so large and he has such a big wingspan that he can cover the ground if need be. He's not as fast as Wemby. I mean, he weighs a lot more than Wemby. He's probably, you know, I mean, I think he's 60 pounds heavier than Wemby. Um, but he has really nice touch. I think they're working with him on extending his range. So if that comes to fruition, that could be, that could be amazing. Um, so he kind of interests me. He doesn't put up gaudy stats or he doesn't put up sexy stat lines, but he impacts the game in a lot of other ways. He, mm-hmm. You know, if you did like, if you count, if you were counting tips, you know, altered shots, things like that, he would look amazing. Um, and Frankly, when you when you can play zone in college and you can stick a seven foot two guy in front of the rim, you're not really getting a whole lot at the rim. So um, I like him a lot. Uh, guys playing with G League Ignite right now, Ron Holland, six mm-hmm. six projects as maybe a small power for a, a small forward or a smaller power forward. Um, super explosive athlete, phenomenal, and and a phenomenal athlete. Period. Um, he only has one speed right now and it is full speed ahead. So if, if they can get, if they can work with him on, you know, controlling pace of the game or controlling his pace of the game, at least, I think that'll go a long way. Um, kind of someone I was, I was tweeting back and forth with someone actually earlier about, um, Modest Buzelis. Uh, he's like six, nine, six, 10. He actually handles the ball fairly well, but he's pretty skinny. He would have to put on some weight. He's, He's gotten bumped around in the few games I've watched him. Um, he's easily bumped off his spot. So if he can put on some weight, gain some strength, I think he'll be all right. He's got to get a bit of a lower center of gravity, but he's a solid shooter. Um, I think he has to be a little bit more of a consistent shooter, but he should be a good shooter down the road. Um, so that's kind of an intriguing player. And I think one more guy I'll, I'll talk about is um, Jacoby Walter out of Baylor because I don't know how they do it, but Baylor just churns out mm-hmm. excellent guards. Um, 
Jacoby Walter, 6'5", defensive menace, moves really well. Um, it's funny. He's probably stronger and a little thicker than Keontae George, but he has like a similar green light, and they were just like, go and shoot it, man. We need you to score points. Do something. Um, and it's working out for them so far. Um, but with Walter, he's probably not as good a shooter as Keontae George was at that stage, but he does a lot of other things really well. Again, he's physical, he's strong. He can, he can pound you a little bit and, um, he's a solid shooter. So I like him too. If, if, uh, you know, Spurs don't end up with one, two or three somehow, and they miss out on a call year or they miss out on, you know, another guard that maybe they were looking for, but, um, I like him a lot. And I, you know, you have, you actually have a guy listed here who's mocked in the first round now who a lot of people did not think he would be a one and done this year. Uh, Kentucky's Reed Shepard. Mm-hmm. It's, and it's funny because he's coming off the bench because he's playing. <laughs> I, I, th- I don't think it's an exaggeration. I think he's playing with three other five-star point guards and coach Cal and Kentucky have to figure out how to use all these dudes. And they don't even have all of their big men. These they have three seven footers, and I don't. I think maybe one of them is available right now, uh, so it's kind of nuts. Um, but Reed, when Reed Shepard is on the floor, he controls the game so well. He's a great shooter. I think he's shooting sixty percent from three right now. Granted, I don't know if it's on huge vol. I don't think it's on huge volume, but still, almost ten games into the season, and you're shooting at that clip from three. That's very good. He doesn't turn the ball over very much. He's just and. and and he he comes from pedigree. I mean, his dad, um, his dad played at Kentucky, and his mom played college basketball too. So he knows a thing or two about the game. He's six four. He's got good size. Um, I, I like him. I think if if he ends up where he's mocked right now, I think it's like twenty five or twenty seven. I, I think that might be a steal, assuming he continues to play the way he has this season. And he's, I mean, they've basically had him coming off the bench, which is crazy because. It feels to me like there are times where he just he completely outplays DJ Wagner. He completely outplays Rob Dillingham. And he just looks good with whatever unit is on the floor. He he makes other guys look good. So I, I really like him. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for going for a for a rundown there. Um um Colin, what did you have any what's your next question for Ben? Yeah. So actually I have there's so much information coming at us. I'm learning so much. So first me of all, too. yeah, this is the idea. The idea of one, uh, like a guy who has one speed, like full steam ahead, like there's something about that. I, like, I don't know, fit. I don't know any of that. But when you tell me that, and then my brain thinks, get that guy in a room with Manu who can teach him how to be shifty, a little bit tricky. And I'm like, oh, that sounds really cool. But my other comment was, you mentioned Gobert went 27 in 2015. Do we know who went one pick before him? Oh, before him? It was Nikola. For the Spurs. Milutino. No, 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 no. Hold on. Rudy Gobert Wait. 2013 draft. 2013? I, why did I go to 2015? Okay, anyway. That was Andre Roberson was picked before him. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, Andre Roberson was good for a couple of years. Spurs, I got Spurs had the pick after. Do you know Do you know who they picked after Gobert? It was a player who never came over. Was it? Um, People um, still salty about Oh, Adam Honga? No. Patty no. Lillane? No. No, he came over. Um, oh, did he? Oh. Kanami Latino. Oh, um, Sasha Dangubich? No. 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 Nah, okay, I don't know. <laughs> I forgot. Yeah, I, forgot all the Euros. I forgot all the Euros. <laughs> Who? Oh, three He's names. He's got three names. 
Oh, no, I'm so mad. Okay, Livio Jean Charles, Kendall Swayze. Yes. Livio Jean Charles, yeah, because they, yeah. they ended up waving him. He was on the first round. He he had a, he even had a, a contract, a salary. I remember because I obviously I wrote that up and I did my caption, you know, with him. Yeah, it was Livio Jean Charles, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay, Good so for my, for my real question, because I, I have, there, like I said, there's so much in my brain. I figured this is the quickest way to get out. So we're a little hypothetical. We're at the end of June, and you are the final decision maker for the Spurs in the draft. And like, assuming it is the way it is right now, where the Spurs get one top five pick of their own and they get a top 10 pick from the Raptors. Mm-hmm. So two questions. One, what's your draft strategy? Is it like fit or is it best available? And then second, who are you putting on your big board to like fit best around this core of like Wimby and Devin that mm-hmm. we like know yeah. that is at the top of the draft? Good question. Mm-hmm. I would say in a draft like this, where you potentially have seven guys who can be number one, you go for you go for fit with with your top three pick, especially because I mean there there are always going to be people who say, "Oh, that's a terrible pick! I can't believe they did that." But this is this is a year where there's there's not really going to be that many there can't be that many long answers. It's not like last year where if you don't pick one Benjamin, you are the biggest idiot in the room and you deserve to get fired. Um, there's no guy like that in this draft. There's there's a lot of raw talent. There's a lot of, um, I would say, there's a lot of guys who probably are going to need some time, even if they're drafted top five. And I would even argue that the guys who are drafted later might get playing time more, might get playing time sooner because they're going to better teams who can afford to integrate them when they want. Um, having said that, I think for the Spurs, they need they need another point guard they can trust, they, who can very clearly run the offense. A guy who can, who will play make for others, but who will play make for himself. Um, for me, right now at least, it's Collier. Uh, I I say that with an asterisk because I really don't like his defense, and the Spurs do need somebody who can defend or who is willing to defend. So I say that with a grain of salt mostly because he's, for me, he's the point guard that fits best here. Um, and and I frankly haven't watched in any any of Nikola Topic, who is, he's like a 6'6 six, six point guard people are talking about. He's playing overseas right now. I haven't watched any of him, so I, I cannot speak on him at all. I think he's a top, he's supposed to be a top 10 guy right now. That's how he's mocked. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I... If I if I get a chance to watch some of his stuff and and get a look, maybe that might change my mind. But I think right now Collier with that top five pick, and then if you're getting you're talking about the Raptors pick, somewhere between you know seven and eleven or seven and twelve. Um, for me, a guy a guy like Justin Edwards out of Kentucky. Now Edwards missed the first few games of the season, but he's like a six eight guy who does just a little bit of everything, and he'll defend. Um, so you just give, you're just giving Wimbanyama kind of another weapon there as a guy who can shoot it and he can, I think he can create for himself a little bit. Um, it's, it's just another versatile piece, you know, similar to Sohan, except his, his shot is probably farther along than Sohan's was at this point. Um, so th- those, those are probably the two guys I would target with those two picks. Uh, um, again, I mean, this is, we're talking on December 5th, Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. 
So there's plenty of college season. There's plenty of overseas season for that to change. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be beholden to an opinion. I had, you know, six months before the draft, right? If, you know, getting to watch people, you're allowed to change your opinion, uh, you know, until like, you know, what, two weeks before the draft, then you got to stick to your guns whenever, whenever people are asking you, but uh, that's, that's where I'm at right now. Yeah, especially with just the way that the, the mocks work. I mean, we've seen we've seen from like tournament guys like in the top five, and all of a sudden he's like twelve or fifteen by by the next week. So like it, it definitely moves moves so quickly. Um, I, I I guess my question for you, Ben, is it's also like a hypothetical what Colin said there, is like what if Sohan does figure this out and he ends up being an an answer point guard, or what if the Spurs during the season they end up tr- making some sort of trade where they get like a pretty established player there at point? Um, how does their like, is this, do they still make these picks or, or is this a kind of also draft where maybe just package these, these two, two picks? So what do, what, what do you think there, if, if they actually fit that, that need that they already have before the draft even gets here? Ooh, it's a good hypothetical. Um, I mean, if I had my way, I would just have both Jones brothers and call it a day, but uh, alas, that is, that is not going to happen probably unless I speak into existence. Um, <laughs> but I think if the Spurs go out and if, if, if things just start clicking for Sohan, I mean, uh, I will be the first one to tell you I am ecstatic. Fantastic. I love that. Great. That means you, you now get to play more size at the point guard and you get to mess with other people's lineups and rosters. They, they really have to think about how they're going to guard you now, which is great. Um, or, if the Sohan experiment doesn't work out and they do go out and get uh, an established, or when you say an established player, you're saying an established point guard. That's a tough question there. Cause I mean, to get like an established, you know, someone like I would say good is they have to put one of their young players in this tra- probably in a trade, you know, to, to figure that out. But again, I don't know if they yeah. want to do that in year one of Wemby. I think they might still wait on that. So again, right. I'm, gonna, I'm thinking more like what you said, almost like a Tyus Jones. It's like, a, you know, a veteran player who, who's going to, you know, um, you know, maybe not wow you, but he's going to be a very good solid foundation there as, as a point guard for the team. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, assuming they go out and they get a point guard, I would say, yeah, priorities probably change. Um, and it's funny because I mean, they do they do have other point guards on the team, but they clearly don't like Devonte Graham that much. He doesn't get a lot of he doesn't mm-hmm. get a lot of run. Um, Malachi Branham and um, Blake Wesley. Oh my God, I almost blinked on his name. Um, Blake Wesley have not quite impressed. Yeah, he's in Austin. He's in Austin right now. As of tomorrow, he's in Austin for that Minnesota game. And I would say Malachi Brand is probably more of a two. Yeah, he's playing more two this year. Mm -hmm. So if they go out and they get a guy that they like, then he's a point guard. They can trust him. You can keep Trey Jones coming off the bench. I would say go out and get just get versatile wings. And, And and maybe what I would do is I would start targeting Justin Edwards earlier, maybe. If his play continues to improve, um, or we could get crazy and go full twin towers and get Donovan Klingon and say, we'll let women Yama go guard guys out on the perimeter. Klingon can guard true post guys or, you know, non-offensive guys like Rudy Gobert um, and call it a day. Um, but I mean, if you're the Spurs, you probably want more versatility. I don't know that you necessarily want another seven plus footer especially if you really like Dominic Barlow, who's been playing incredibly well in Austin. Um, you know, at some point they're going to have to bring him up or they're going to have to let him loose. And someone else is going to be very happy with him. I think, I think he's, I think he's played tremendously 
in Austin this year, and he's going to deserve a call-up next year and, and be a permanent member of the San Antonio Spurs. Um, so knowing that, you know, you may not necessarily need to go out and get another big, especially because Barlow is a very uh, mobile and agile big who, can, who moves well. Uh, so getting a guy like Klingon who doesn't necessarily move well may not help you. Um, but getting a guy like Justin Edwards at 6'8", who does a lot of things really well, would be super helpful. Maybe a guy like um, you had him listed here. Actually, I really like the name. Um, Zachary Rissa Share, I think is how you say his name. Um, an interesting prospect. Again, I haven't watched a lot of him, but from what I've seen and from what I hear, he could be really nice. I think he's a bit raw as well, but that's kind of a lot of this draft class. Um, so that might be someone worth looking into. Um, and then a Buzella, a modest Buzellis, it's kind of, you can play him as small forward or, you know, he'll be kind of a jumbo small forward or he'll be uh, power forward and he'll just, he'll move well. And, um, you know, that would, that would be how I work that hypothetical. Okay. Uh, Colin, did you have any last uh, draft questions for Ben? Uh, yes. This So this is a draft um, retrospective question, maybe mm. just as we look and it's, it's about two perimeter players uh, on defense. You have watched these players from before they came into the league and they're on the Spurs now. And this um, is kind of just two players who I think if they can figure out any sort of thing on defense, it's going to make a big difference in the Spurs. The first is the cell who my understanding was he was widely regarded as like a big defensive impact on the perimeter coming out of college and you know he's been up and down he's better this year last year was kind of rough do you from what you've seen from him versus what you saw in college is is that still something that's developing is there something that was there that isn't is it just the fact that he has an offensive load maybe now that's bigger than what it was before like like what are you seeing there that you know he had this reputation coming out of college and it's not quite the same now that he's actually in the pros for several years the part of it is the defense in the NBA is considerably different than college. And a lot of it is because um, the NBA is also officiated much differently than college. Um, he was a huge shutdown guy in college. Um, and I would also argue that to your point, the offensive load for him is probably something that gets to him because when he played at Florida state, they coach Hamilton likes to run 10 or 11 guys deep none of his guys are playing 30 minutes or more a game. So Devin Vassell got a ton of, he got to rest a ton during games. He would, um, and, and he wasn't a huge score. They, they, their offense, they spread it around. Um, so I think that's part of it. I think he's still getting used to that. And, and I also think that the injuries might've slowed him a bit. The, the injuries, mm-hmm. you know, that can mess with your timeline too. Cause you're, you're used to playing with some guys for so many minutes a game and, you know, if you're not doing that, if you're coming off the bench now, you're playing with the second unit a little more. It can you gotta get used to guys again? So I think part of it might be that as well. But he, I mean, yeah, he was he was known as a defender coming out of college, and I think he can still get there. But I'm I've also been under um, I've also been of the stance that the way the NBA is called and the way that defenses are played, it's it's very much becoming like the NFL where they just want to see offense, offense, offense. They don't, they don't, nobody wants to see good defensive plays anymore. They want to see, 
They want to see guys shooting the crap out of the ball. They want to see guys scoring all over the place. They don't want to, you know, they don't want the game ruined by defense. Um, that That's the way it's been called the last few years, I would say, unfortunately. And, and the other guy I kind of had the same question for uh, more of, I don't know if he showed any of this in college is Branham, who I believe his shot will come along to where it was in college, just with development over time. But I do think, uh, perimeter defense, especially guarding drives and containing drives, has been a weakness of his. Was there anything that you saw in his game or anything that you've seen so far where you think that could be something he develops? Or is that just kind of like uh, one of the weaknesses of him? Maybe that's kind of the way it always has been. I didn't know if it looked any different to you uh, before draft. Yeah, I, I would say he probably wasn't a defensive guy coming out of college. I mean, his defensive rating in college was 107. Um, and that was with the full season. Um, and I think part of that was because Ohio State did, just didn't play defense, um, which is hilarious because they're a Big Ten team and Big Ten is known for their rock fights, you know, games in the 40s and 50s. Um, but he, yeah, he was on a team that really didn't care to play defense. And I'm not sure he was ever really forced to. Um, and now that I'm thinking about it, I don't think that coach is even there anymore. I think they have a new coach since Brandon was drafted. So that was surely one of the reasons they, of course, they weren't winning enough in the Big Ten, which I would argue is one of the toughest conferences, top two conference in the country. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, that's, it's, I think it's just something he has to work on. He's, I don't think he's really ever been defensive minded. And I think part of it was also because at Ohio State, they said, just go out and score, man. We need you to score points because we only have like maybe one or two other guys who can kind of, kind of go get buckets but you you're the guy who can actually go out and consistently get points for us so we need you to focus on that that makes but when you say like they get in the in the big 10 the 40 50 point games that makes sense why he's like such a good like uh half court player not really like a spread it out kind of player he's just like so efficient like in that mid-range and like that little floater range and he's just real methodical when it comes to that but in the open court he kind of struggles there so that kind of just matches there um colin did you have any last questions for ben no, no, that was very informative. This is a wonderful conversation. For sure. Yeah. Thank you so much, Ben, for taking some time, man, and just, you know, breaking down the prospects for us. Um, uh, and then also not only that, but just kind of even taking some of our hypothetical questions. So, um, yeah, again, like I, I didn't know, you know, I, I thought by this point they'd have more than three wins the Spurs, but, you know, they're on a, it looks like a different timeline now compared to what we might have thought uh, going into the preseason uh, when we last talked to you back in October. And so, again, it, it, there's still a lot of games to be played. We do want to say that there's like what I say, 79% of the season left. So there's a lot of season left to be played. We'll see how things go. But right now, as of where they're at on December uh, uh, 5th, they are projected to be a lottery team right now is what it looks like, uh, just like last season. So I want to say thank you to Ben and Colin for joining me here on this episode of the Spurs cast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review on YouTube and your favorite podcast apps. This episode was written and recorded by Paul, by, recorded and produced by Paul Garcia from all of us at Project Spurs. Stay safe and have a great day. 